Lord Jesus, we are in need of your presence here with us. Uh, we don't need just good songs and a nice message, and that does us no good apart from you being present with us, apart from you moving in and among your people. Uh, so once again in this service, God, we invite you in. Make your presence known here this morning. Speak to the hearts of your people. Change us from the inside out, we pray. Lord, as John the Baptist prayed, I pray that I would decrease and that you would increase here this morning. Speak to your people. And even speak through your people. In Jesus' name, amen. So for the last five weeks, uh, you have been hearing about the, this term kingdom life. How many of you have heard kingdom life over the last month? Some of you have been sleeping. I feel like a broken record, and it's going to get worse as we go forward. This is, this is what we believe that we are here to be about as a church. Many of you have heard, and, and maybe some of you could even begin to quote uh, our, our vision as a church. Does anyone know it offhand? No one wants to take a stab? Come on. You can try. We won't laugh. To see every person involved in what? Kingdom life. This is why we believe we exist as a church, to see each and every person in Elkins, in West Virginia, and beyond have opportunity to be involved in kingdom life. Now, over the last five weeks, we've been discussing kingdom life. Uh, the first two weeks were planned. The last three felt like kind of a detour, uh, as Brian was talking about just all of the justice issues uh, that have come up. And really what we were talking about is how do we apply kingdom life to justice, to social justice. And so it feels like a detour, but really it's in the same vein. We believe that every person has kingdom value, that Jesus died and paid the most expensive price that could be paid for each and every person, and it's our job to call out that kingdom value in them, to show them the kingdom truth, that they are valued by God, and he desires relationship with them. That's what all these justice issues that we were talking about were wrapped up in. In everything we do, we believe that it's our job. And listen, when I say as a church, I don't mean as an organization, as those that work here or have some title of leadership. You and me. As individual believers, we make up the church, yes? Without us, there is no church, yes? So it is each and every one of our jobs to see every person we come in contact with have opportunity to be involved in kingdom life. Yes? Okay. So this is where we have been going, and we're going to keep referencing back to it. Uh, I've been told that when you say it enough times, people kind of feel like they want to throw up when they start to hear it again. You're about halfway there. So we're just going to keep bringing it up so that this becomes ingrained in who we are. I am here to see every person involved in kingdom life, at home, at work, and everywhere in between. Amen? Okay. So as a church, we've said, okay, if that's where we believe God is calling us, how do we get there? What are the things that we really need to focus on if we're going to be the kind of people that continually offer opportunity to be involved in kingdom life? 
And so we have four uh, values that we believe, man, if we really focus in on these, if these become the filter that we run opportunities through, if these become the things that we continually remind ourselves of and the pillars that if we stand on, we will see people become involved in kingdom life. And so there's four values that we're going to spend the next couple weeks working through. And they're these four. The first one is this, divine expectation and engagement. And we have a, uh, like what, what each of these mean, uh, a little description for each of them that we'll work through as we go. But for right now, just to see them in front of you, divine expectation and engagement, practical discipleship, an outward focus, and if we, if we focus on becoming a family on mission, we believe that if we do these four things well, if these are the, the guiding lights, again, not just for an organization, but for each of us, that we will see the kingdom advance. We will see people not only just be presented opportunity, but truly step in to kingdom life. So the one that we're going to work on this morning, and actually for the next two weeks, is divine expectation and engagement. Here's what that means, that we would be a people motivated by and hungry for the presence of God and partnership with Him in transformation. That the presence of God would be the thing that drives us forward. We're hungry for it. We're motivated by it. Without His presence, we kind of go, we got nothing. And we want to partner with Him, engage with Him, where he's moving and working to bring transformation. Transformation in me, transformation in us, transformation in Elkins and beyond. It happens through experiencing God's presence and engaging with him in it. Make sense? Okay. So when we talk about God's presence, I always want to be clear, because I've had this question from people before, and it's a very good question. They say, okay, when we talk about the presence of God, isn't God present everywhere all the time? Like, is God present everywhere all the time, church? Yes. Yes. So then what does it mean to be motivated by, to be hungry for more of it if he's everywhere all the time? So there is a theological word called omnipresence, which means it's, it's that thing that we read about in Scripture that says that God is everywhere all the time. There's nowhere that God isn't right now. There's nowhere where God is kind of blind to what's happening over there. God is everywhere at all times. He is omnipresent. He is omniscient, means all-knowing. He is omnipotent, which means all-powerful. He is all of those things everywhere all the time. That's a doctrinal fact. There's nowhere where God isn't where I have to kind of go take him. He's already there. But then there's something that we refer to as the manifest presence of God. Manifest means made known. God can be everywhere at all the time, but not everybody's aware of it all the time. Does that make sense? But there's times when God manifests his presence. He makes it known. It's it's, it's palpable. It's when God is moving or speaking, stirring something in your heart. When when you're praying and it feels like he's in the room with you. When you're reading and the word is jumping off the page. When you're fellowshipping with other believers and it feels like God is in the circle with you. When you're going on mission with God and there is a sense of purpose and power that comes from knowing he's there, he manifests his presence. And this, as believers, we believe, has to be a guiding light for us. 
we have to have the presence of God in our lives. Because it's that presence that brings transformation. It's that presence that, that sends us out on mission. It's not just a dry reading of Scripture and going, well, he said it, so okay, let's go do it. But it's truly partnering with him and experience his presence as we go. And it's one of those things where once you taste it, it is both the most satisfying thing and at the same time, you are so hungry for more of it. It's, it's hard to even explain. But when God's presence is there, life is there. Peace is there. Hope is there. And this should be driving us as believers. Amen? But here's the thing. As believers, we have to learn to practice divine expectation daily. We have to learn to practice expecting the presence of God. There are times when God kind of drops in unexpected. He just goes, I know what they need, and he just steps in and moves. Most of the time, we miss that manifest presence of God because we're not looking for it. God is moving all around us, but we've just got blinders on, focused on whatever our day looks like, whatever, whatever is in our lives, and we miss the presence of God because we weren't looking for it. And there are times, I don't want to say, so if you're not experiencing the presence of God every single day, it's because you're doing something wrong. Uh, real quick, there's a, there's a caveat. There are times, you've probably heard people talk about the mountaintop experiences, yes? And then there are the valley experiences. There are the times we're in the mountain, and it's just like, no matter what I do, God is there. I, I, just, I just think about the Word of God. And that life just starts welling up inside of me. I pray, and it feels like he's right next to me going, good one, let's do it. And then there are some other times when it feels like no matter what I do, no matter how much I read, no matter how much I pray, no matter how much I go to church, no matter I do all the right things, but it feels like God is still distant. Not because I've done something wrong, but simply because there are valley times. There are times, uh, oftentimes, they're, they're referred to as desert times, dry times. I had one of these, um, I'll share my experience. It doesn't necessarily say this is everyone's experience, but my experience. Probably uh, three to five years ago, I, I had a, a desert time for about six months, where kind of no matter what I did, I was in the Word every day. I was, I was praying. I was obviously coming to church. I was helping to lead in church. But it felt like my prayers were bouncing off the ceiling. It felt like when I would read, there was just nothing going on. It was just words on a page. When I would, when I would talk with other believers, there wasn't this sense of like life and encouragement. It was just dry. And about three months into this, I was spending time with the Lord just going, Okay, Lord, is, is there sin in my heart? Like, is there, is there something I've been disobedient about that's kind of like holding you at arm's length? Is, is there something I've done, something I need to repent of to experience your presence again? And in that time, the, the Lord spoke to me, and he said, if I never made my presence known to you again, would it be enough for you to keep coming? Would, would what I've already done be enough for you to keep pursuing me even if there was no like, promise that you would ever experience that sweet presence again. And in that moment, I had, to, I had to sit back and reflect a little bit, but said, yeah. Be, not only because of what you did 2,000 years ago on the cross for me, but because of how you've already showed up, how you've already made your presence known in my life, I'm going to keep pursuing you no matter what. 
And there was about three months after that where I didn't hear from him again. Again, I would still read his word and I would go, man, that's a good point. I need to, I need to work harder at this. I need to love this way. Like, it's not like there weren't words in here anymore that were good words, but his presence wasn't there for about three months. But I had it in my heart. I was hungry. God, I will keep pursuing you just so that if you decide to show yourself to me again, I want to be ready. I was hungry for his presence, motivated by it. And in that, I experienced transformation. Now, there are, so I say all of that to say there are those seasons. It's, it's not that if you're experiencing a dry time, you've done something wrong. But I would say the majority of the time, when we're not experiencing his presence, it's because we're not actively seeking it. We're not looking for it. So even if God desires to show himself, we miss it. And I believe that, honestly, there's few things sadder in the Christian life than that. We have to learn to see every single situation as an opportunity to experience the presence of God. Every day at work is an opportunity to experience God's presence and partner in, with him in what he's doing. Every day with your family is an opportunity to experience the presence of God and minister to each other. Every time we gather here, it's an opportunity to experience the presence of God together. Through one another, through worship, through the word. There's so many different things. How many times already this morning have we prayed inviting God's presence here with us, right? Four that I count at least. And here's the thing. I truly believe if God's presence doesn't show up here, we kind of wasted our time. We can sing some good songs. We can read some passages. We, like, it's not bad stuff, but apart from God's presence, it also doesn't bring change and transformation. It doesn't bring life where there's death. We are dependent on the presence of God, and we have to learn to practice divine expectation. Waking up every day and going, Lord, where are you today? Where are you moving? How can I come partner with you? Walking into every situation and going, Lord, I know that you're everywhere all the time, but there may be a place where you're moving today, where you're moving in someone's heart and someone's life, and I don't want to miss it. To have eyes that see where God is moving, always ready to go and partner with him. We have to learn to practice this. This is something that honestly... Protestant church has been pushing for for well over a hundred years. That it's not just about, okay, open your Bible and read it. Okay, pray this many times a day. Okay, show up on Sunday. And you've got everything that, that the Christian life could offer. Uh, see if you can finish this phrase for me. Uh, it's, most of us have been taught this at some point in time. Christianity is not about religion. It's about relationship. We know this. We understand the truth of it. We, we believe the doctrine of it. It's not just about do the right things, but truly it's about coming into relationship with Jesus. Through sin, we were separated from God. Relationship was impossible because of our sin. Jesus' death on the cross bought adoption for us, paid the price for our sins so that we could come into relationship with the Father. We believe it, but many of us don't look like we do. We don't live like we do. If somebody could watch your life 
Somehow from, from the outside, they could watch, even when no one else is there, they could kind of see the whole thing. They could see your prayers. They could see when you're alone, when you're in front of people, whatever it is. What conclusion would they come to? Would they look at your life and go, this person walks into every situation going, God is here. Where is he on the move? Would they see divine expectation? Or would they see, it seems to really matter on Sunday mornings and maybe even a few other times throughout the week, but then there's a whole lot of this other time that it's just them doing life. Far too often, it would be the latter. We do church, we do some religious things, and unless we need something from him, we're just off doing it ourselves. There's not this constant relationship, God, I I need you today. I need you in this. Let's link arms and move together. We understand it doctrinally, but, not, but far too often we don't experience relationship. It's kind of reserved for some of those religious things when God meant it to be every moment of every day. Experiencing his presence and walking with him. One of the things that we need to learn to do when it comes to divine expectation is align belief and practice. We're going to look at some different scriptures here this morning that I believe every one of us would hear and we'd go, amen. But then we look at our lives, are we actually practicing it? Is it actually true of us or is it just a doctrine that we believe? Because as long as it stays in that category, I would say amen. I read that and I go, that's true, but I don't actually live it out. It's of no value. We are not only missing the blessing of experiencing the presence of God, But those around us who need to see life, true life lived out, are missing the opportunity. Because all they're seeing is me. And I can't save anybody. What they need to see is Christ in me. His presence made known through me. So let's take a look at some of these these passages and just ask, do our beliefs line up with our practices? There's a passage in Exodus 33. Uh, It's one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. It's it's a beautiful moment between Moses and the Lord. Uh, So God is calling Moses to lead the people to the promised land. And it's before they've, they've chosen to go their own way and have to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. It's before that happens. God is telling Moses where to lead people. And here's Moses' response, Exodus 33, starting in verse 12. Moses said to the Lord, You have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and, I have found, and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so that I may know you and continue to find favor with, uh, with you. Remember that this nation is your people. And the Lord replied, My presence will go with you. I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do everything that you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. Moses looked at it and went, Your presence is the most precious thing that we have. Without that, we're sunk. If your presence doesn't go with us, we're not moving. And it wasn't in a, I'm trying to like strong arm God and tell him. He was just going, without that, I recognize we have nothing. 
Moses believed, and I think most of us would believe, would understand, God's presence is what distinguishes us, what sets us apart from all other people and all other religions. The fact that we serve a living God who is moving and active in the world sets us apart from everyone else. Amen? Moses said, God, if you don't go with us, we're not moving. And God didn't just go, yeah, cool, no, I'll kind of be there. Everywhere they went, there was a pillar of fire and smoke that would lead them. It would go from place to place, and they would follow. Yes, it's raining, people. We're going to be okay. We have a roof. <laughs> Stick with me. Everywhere they went, God's presence led them. Where God moved, they moved. If God stayed put, they stayed put. They said, your presence is it. Without that, we have nothing. We would read that and we would say, yes. And I hope there's something in your heart that kind of leaps at that. And you go, I want to live like that. Where God's presence distinguishes me from anything else. Where people look at me and maybe they can't say exactly what it is, but they go, there's something so unique about your life and they're drawn to it. We want that. We believe that. But does our practice add up to that? There is this thing, uh, theologically, it's called the sacred and secular divide. We have, we categorize things in our life, and we go, certain things are sacred. God cares about those. God moves in those. God, that's kind of God's domain. And then there's secular things. Those are just my things. Those are the things where God may say, hey, you know, don't lie to people when you're doing it, but really that's kind of your domain. And we live life this way. So we go, okay, Sunday mornings, sacred. We, we need to pray. We need to sing together. We hope that God comes and speaks. We invite his presence in. And for far too many Christians in the West, from Monday to Saturday, secular. That's just my job. That's my time. That's my hobby. That's my family. And we do the best we can, but it's, that's me. That's my domain. There, in the scripture, there is no such thing as sacred and secular. In the Jewish understanding, there was no understanding of sacred and secular. All life was sacred. And I don't just mean that in terms of like a, a pro-life stance, all life is sacred. What they meant was every moment, every activity was a sacred moment, a sacred activity, because there was the opportunity to meet with God in the middle of it. God's presence distinguished them from everyone else, and everywhere they went was opportunity to meet with God's presence. For God's presence to make himself known to others through them. Are there areas in your life where there is a sacred, secular divide? Things he cares about and things that are yours. Because that's not what we find in Scripture. Do our beliefs and our practices line up? Another passage, Matthew 18, 18 to 20. Many of us are familiar with this. It's called the Great Commission. Uh, it's Jesus' last command uh, before he leaves the earth. It says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. How many of you have heard that before? How many of you even have that memorized, maybe? Okay, it's a pretty popular one. How many of you go, that reflects my life? My hands are down as well. 
But look at what we would believe. Look at what we would say amen to. Jesus starts by going, look, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Jesus says, I'm in charge and I'm sending you out on mission to make disciples, to baptize new believers, to teach everything that he has commanded. And then there's a promise at the end that again, we would say yes and amen to where he says, and I am with you always to the very end of the age. I'm not only sending you out on mission, and he's not some general that stays back at the camp, but he says, I'm also going with you every step of the way. Much like Moses cried, Lord, if your presence doesn't go, I don't want to move. Jesus says, I have a mission for you, and I'm walking with you in it. Most of us would believe that, and we would say, yes, amen. That's the mission of the church, to make disciples, to see the kingdom advanced. But then we look at our practice, and most of us go, I'm too scared. What if they ask questions that I don't know the answer to? It's too hard. Like that, every relationship, I have to look and go, okay, Lord, is there something you want me to say? Is there, is there an opportunity to share? Like, it feels exhausting. And so maybe we'll invite people to church. Maybe there are those few times when we'll kind of work up the courage to share the gospel. But all in all, our practice and our belief don't line up. I look at uh, Matthew chapter 10, chapters before the Great Commission, where Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he's telling them worst-case scenario. He's going, look, one day you guys are actually going to be arrested because of following me. And we can think of every hesitation we would have, but I'm too scared, but what if I don't know what to say, but, but what if, but what if, but what if? And here's what Jesus told his disciples on what would be the hardest situation most of us can imagine. Matthew chapter 10, verse 19, he says, But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. At a time when they would be looking and going, Man, I need to nail this. Not only does my life depend on it, but like I want to make sure the message is put out there. Like They were faithful men. And Jesus said, in those moments, don't worry about what you're going to say, because my spirit will be with you, and in fact, he'll give you what to say. All of the what-ifs in the world fade away if we begin to actually practice divine expectation. God is walking in this with me, and so if a door opens, if there's opportunity to share, he will also supply everything I need to walk through the door, because he's with me. Because it's his presence that sets me apart, not the right answers. So now I can begin to walk in the all authority that Jesus was given and he commanded me to walk in, knowing that he's with me and he'll provide everything I need every step of the way. And I can begin to be bold. I can begin to everywhere I go going, this is an opportunity to make disciples because Jesus said it was. And he's going to give me everything I need to make disciples. But only if I learn to expect the divine in my everyday. Let's look at some, um, some quiet time practices, some devotional practices, and how divine expectation can change those. 
we would say yes and amen to Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. The word of God is alive and it's active. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. If that's true, then how come I don't pick it up very often? If that's really true, then how come it's so easy to treat like any other self-help book? And if I can just check the box, spend a chapter a day, maybe something will happen. If, what, if Hebrews 4 is true, then when I come to the Word of God with expectation that Jesus is going to meet me there, His Word comes to life. How many of you have experienced that? When you read it and the words are just jumping off the page and you can literally feel Jesus weighing your heart and going, this, this part here isn't right. Or there's parts where your heart is heavy and His Word comes to life and you feel encouragement and hope and joy. One person has ever experienced this. We would say we believe it. We would say, yes, God's Word, it, it's alive, it's powerful, it's active. But look at our practice. Most often, again, I'm painting with broad brushes here. Some of these things you're going you're gonna to go, mm, that's me. And some of them you're going to go, no, I'm killing it in that area. So I'm not trying to, to say this is for everyone. But there are those in here who this is, really, when you look at your practice, it's just another book. Yeah, I need to read a chapter. Maybe I'll try to memorize a verse, but like, eh, hopefully it just gives me some things to think about instead of going, when Jesus' presence shows up, this comes to life. And it changes me from the inside out, and that's my expectation every time I read it. Lord, what is it you're trying to say? Lord, how do you want to change me today? Meet with me through your word. I expect to hear from you through your word. If this was the way that we approach the word, we would begin to see transformation like we've never seen before on a personal level. We would begin to experience calling and power like most of us have never experienced before. Because it doesn't just say spend some time in the book each day and hope for the best. But experience his presence him, him bringing the word to life through his Holy Spirit and the transformation that comes because of it. If we would begin to approach the word like that, we would see life like we've never seen before. Let's look at prayer. A few verses later, the writer of Hebrews refers to prayer this way. He says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Listen to this, how he, how he talks about prayer. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. It's far too common for us to pray like no one's listening. First to pray because it's the right thing to do. God is good. God is great. Let us thank him for our food. Amen. 
Some of these rote prayers that we teach our children because children need a tool. They need a model to help them walk through it. But so many of us are still praying like children. I just need to say the right words. Oh, oh, we're getting ready to eat. Let's bow our heads and pray. Oh, it's before bed. We should say something to him. But how many of us go, God, when I pray, it moves your hand. I'm to enter boldly with confidence into the throne room of grace to receive the things I need for the tasks you've given me, to see change in the lives of people, whether it's elders praying for the sick and seeing miracles, which we find in James 5, whether it's praying that God would move and open doors, which we see through the life and ministry of Paul. Prayer is powerful and it moves the hand of God because it's a way for us to experience His presence to be one with him, yet how many of us approach it in a way that goes, yeah, I should do that more often. Oh, right, God, I forgot you were there. Uh, anyway, uh, thanks for the food. It's been great, you know. And we miss it. Let's look at the last one here. Two different passages we're going to look at that talk about when we come together as believers and ways to experience God's presence then. Matthew 18, 20 says, Where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. And we've looked at this one in the past. Again, is God with each and every one of us who know him all the time? Yes, his spirit is inside of us, right? But he says, look, when you guys gather together, I make myself known in a different way. I make myself known in a unique way, a powerful way, when my people gather together in my name. He says, look, there's ways that you can experience me together that you can't alone. It's different when we gather together and experience his presence. One of those ways, over in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, the Apostle Paul talking about the gifts of the Spirit and how God wants to minister to us. And he says this, now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. He's saying, look, when the body comes together, remember that word manifestation means making it known, like right here, right now, in palpable ways. The Spirit is made known through us for the common good. Basically saying, God gives me gifts that you need, and God gives you gifts that I need. When we come together and experience His presence, His gifts come out in us for the common good. Does that make sense? Okay, so let's look at the practice of our common time together. Most churches in the West, and in a lot of ways our church has been guilty of this as well, it's told, hey, your job is to come in, sit down, and unless we're singing for the most part, shut up. Listen to the person with the microphone. God has given me something to say to you, and your job is to come and learn, right? That's how most church attendance is viewed. Our practice doesn't match our belief. The belief, what Scripture says, is when we come here together, it is just as likely for God to have something to say through you than it is through me. That any of you are just as likely to have a word of encouragement, a word of knowledge, a word of teaching as I am. But do we practice that? Very rarely. Look, I've loved since before I came here, we have had a sharing time. 
uh, during the service where, where you guys are encouraged to come and share anything, again, from prayer requests to, hey, I, I feel like the Lord is telling me to share this. And, and we've taken that opportunity. And I love that because that's the thing I point to when I go, we're getting there. We're practicing what it has to say. But I think there's probably some room to go a little further. You guys ready to do something uncomfortable? Thank you for saying no. I appreciate the honesty from some of you. We're going to put our money where our mouth is. We're, we're simply just going to practice this. I believe that God may be speaking to some of you right now something that he wants to share. That, that God may have uh, something that he has taught you in your life that the rest of us need to hear. And that it would be remiss to just kind of pray and be done. So we're going to take a few minutes and just give you guys opportunity. I'm not going to say you have to walk up to a microphone. You can stand right where you are and just speak loud. And I'll try to speak back so that people can hear with the microphone. But looking in light of what we have talked about today with this idea of divine expectation, experiencing God's presence in the everyday of our lives, I would love to hear from you guys, why is it so difficult? Why, why is it so hard to keep that in mind? Okay, I'm going to invite the music team up, and we're going to finish with a simple song, uh, Spirit of the Living God. Just asking, Spirit of the Living God, fall fresh on me. It's not a difficult song, but it's just yet another way to invite the Lord. Fall fresh. Uh, so let's pray uh, and then come together to worship. Lord Jesus, uh, I thank you for ministering to my heart um, through this time together, uh, the way that, that you've shown yourself to me um, during this vulnerable time of just listening to each other uh, and growing together. I thank you that uh, there's opportunity to meet with you in singing songs, in praying prayers, in having discussions. Uh, Lord, would you, the only word I can think of right now is haunt us with this this week. Uh, would you continue to bring this back up in our thinking? Would you continue to challenge us with this? Uh, where is he moving today? Where is he moving in this situation? How can I experience him in this? Would these thoughts just in the best possible way plague us this week? God, that we would come back next week being able to share praises of here's where I saw him moving. Here's what he said to me. Here's how I experienced him. And that we could encourage one another and spur one another on to go deeper experiencing your presence. May we live with a divine sense of expectation this week. And may we find you as good and faithful. In Jesus' name, amen.